Hi, I'm Josh and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art and craft of nature photography. It is the 18th of February 2022 and this is podcast number 38 and I'm coming to you from about an hour's drive from the small town of Kumo in northern Finland where I kicked off my Finland workshop uh, a couple of days ago. We uh, arrived here the day before yesterday the conditions here at the moment are absolutely superb. We have had pretty much non-stop snow since we arrived uh, here at our base camp uh, on the border with Russia or on the border of the demilitarized no man's land area. And um, yeah, conditions have just been absolutely superb. We were out in the hides all day yesterday. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't see any wolves yesterday, but uh, the snow has continued to fall. Conditions, as I say, are just superb. So hopefully later today, um, actually we'll be packing up and heading to the hide pretty much as soon as I finish this podcast and uh, hoping that we will see the wolves or the wolverine today because uh, in these sort of conditions when you've got great snow cover on the ground, beautiful soft overcast light, wonderful reflected light off the snow and snow falling, it really would be fantastic to see the wolves in this in these sort of conditions in winter. So a little bit more about Finland in a moment. I just want to first of all wrap up my Arctic Fox workshop. Uh, this podcast is a few days late. I have been meaning to do it um since I finished the Arctic Fox workshop a few days ago, it's just been, I've just had a lot on my plate transitioning between Iceland and Finland. Um, thankfully, a lot of the COVID requirements are going away. So just before I left Iceland, Finland abandoned its requirement for pre-entry uh, COVID testing, which means I was able to travel from Iceland across to Finland uh, without even actually having to have my vaccination certificate checked. So that that is a good uh, indication that we are slowly starting to return to normal uh, with travel around the world. And in fact, I've noticed that um, many countries are now starting to abandon their COVID testing requirements on entry. So my hope is that, you know, as we move forward in, in the months sort of roll past, that we'll get, be getting back to whatever the new normal might be. Uh, and that a lot of these testing and entry requirements are going to start to disappear. Certainly travel felt much more normal between Iceland and Finland than it has done, gosh, in at least the last two and a half years now. Um, Travel's been very difficult, as everybody knows, but uh, now with the removal of these requirements, uh, it's just becoming much, much simpler. So I think Schengen, which is the area I'm in at the moment, which takes up most of Scandinavia, uh, is going to remain pretty much fully open now, barring no more variants. Uh, touch wood, knock on wood rather. Let's hope there's no more of that. Uh, but anyway, I wrapped up my Arctic Fox workshop. Now, this the weather in Iceland this year has been really quite savage. We... Um, I had planned to fly up north from Reykjavik to Izafira um, two days before my workshop. I normally allow an extra day just in case of bad weather in winter. The winds can be quite fickle in Iceland in winter, and it's not uncommon for flights to be <coughs> excuse me, delayed or cancelled. And that was the case indeed. I was delayed a day getting from Reykjavik to Izafira in the north of Iceland. It didn't cause us any trip delays because, uh, I, as I said, I had allowed an extra day uh, before we got started. So it just meant that I had an extra day in Reykjavik to kind of hang out. And that was pretty good. I, I had reasonably bad jet lag on the way up from Australia. Uh, I think that's just because I'm a little bit out of condition with international travel. Uh, jet lag got me pretty bad for a few days in Iceland. So the extra day was actually appreciated in Reykjavik. It gave me a bit of a chance to to rest and recover and sort of just hang out. Uh, and be more fresh when we kicked off the Arctic Fox trip, um, which we did so. And, and we, uh, we were able to get on the boat. We were able to get up to the Hortstrand and Nature Reserve. We had relatively smooth sailing. Uh, my, my ground operator up here has an all new boat. It's much faster than the old one. So it actually took us only about an hour to get out there on the boat. 
and then we uh, we got the gear settled in the in the cabin, and we were pretty much straight in uh, straight into it. We had temperatures that were extremely consistent this year. In fact, I think it's the most consistent I've ever had for an Arctic fox trip in Iceland. The temperature fluctuated very little, hovering mostly around minus six uh, degrees Celsius, with the coldest being about minus ten Celsius, plus wind chill. Now we did have some very strong wind and blowing snow, so temperatures probably dropped to around about minus twenty, minus twenty-five with wind chill. So quite cold, but the conditions for Arctic fox photography were just absolutely sublime. I mean. We had beautiful soft light many mornings, fantastic wind, blowing snow, falling snow, very dramatic. I think I personally made something like 14,000 images in five days. Uh, I know some of the other participants were upwards of 30,000 images. So uh, pretty amazing uh, turnout of, of photography. I mean, it was pretty much nonstop from the time we were out in the field. We were, of course, broke for lunch. Uh, for an hour and a half or so, and then we were back out in the field until dark. We had four foxes that were coming very, very well. Well, all four foxes were sort of around the cabin. We had two that were coming extremely close, just to within a few feet of us. So there are all sorts of opportunities from wide angle to uh, telephoto lenses, and the foxes are extremely agile and fast. So we're able to photograph them across a number of different backgrounds, which was really, really fantastic. All four foxes were blue morph variety, so they go a dark chocolate brown in the winter, not the white one. The white fox is actually quite rare in Iceland, whereas in the rest of the Arctic, it's the blue morph that's quite rare. I actually prefer the blue morph. I know a lot of people seek out the white one, but the blue morph has this wonderful contrast. If you get the snow on its uh, winter brown coat, it's just superb. You get this fantastic contrast, very dramatic, and we took full advantage of that during the during the trip. We photographed every single day. We had one uh, blue sky day during the trip where we took things a little bit easier just because the light was a little bit harsher. Uh, we didn't photograph quite as much that day. Every other day was very much uh, full on from the time we were up in the morning till, till we finished in the evening. And uh, I shot exclu- exclusively, I should say, with the new Canon EOS R3. And I'll talk about uh, my thoughts on the EOS R3 in just a minute when I get through uh, just wrapping up this um, notes on the actual Fox trip itself. So um, there we had a total of five participants on this on this workshop, which is a fantastic number when you're working with wildlife. I really appreciate small groups of people when I'm, when I'm doing these trips because it just makes, not only does it make my job easier, but it, it means that the wildlife is far less intimidated and we can control the situation much better and we can actually get much better photographs as a result. So a small group, which was wonderful, we uh, we had some fantastic food during the, the during the trip as well, which was great. And uh, as I said, the temperature was very consistently cold, uh, which was a fantastic test for the new EOS R3. And perhaps I should come to that at this point in time. So this was the first time I have shot with the new EOS R3 in anger, if you like, or in the field. I've had the camera for some time now and done quite a bit of testing at uh, home in Melbourne. But this was the first chance I've really had to use it in winter conditions. And I have to say, I'm extremely impressed. In fact, I think I'm a convert uh, to mirrorless at this point in time. And there's a number of factors for that. The first one uh, is perhaps so obvious, I didn't even really recognize it initially. And that is the blackout-free shooting. I hadn't realized how much of an advantage that actually can be when you're photographing in the snow uh, during the winter months. I really, really appreciated blackout-free shooting with the EOS R3, so much so that I didn't even realize it uh, until I sat back and thought about it. That was the first big game changer for me. The second one is the Animal Eye autofocus. To be honest, this feels like cheating. It's just, it just makes life so easy. 
I am, you know, I have years and years and years of experience of, of, of moving focus points around to track the eye of an animal as it moves around the frame, but having the camera do it for me, <laughs> as I say, it just feels like cheating. It, uh, it's wonderful. It's easy. It means you're free to focus on composition, not have to think about chasing the, the critter around the frame with the focus points. Uh, I just found that incredible. Uh, and especially given the conditions that we were shooting in when visibility was often extremely low, the animal was moving very quickly. Uh, the fact that the camera could re- reliably lock on to the subject, not always onto the eye because the eye was not always visible if the fox is squinting as it looks into the wind and snow is flying and falling, but always it reliably locked onto the animal and I was able to get sharp, sharp images. Uh, I think there is no question in my mind at this point in time that I made more sharp photographs than I would have made with my traditional DSLR cameras. Uh, so I think, you know, the auto animal, sorry, the eye animal focus is very much game changer. Uh, the actual eye tracking where the camera follows your eyes, it looks around the frame is interesting. Uh, I have sort of dabbled with that a little bit in the field. I'm not fully sold on that yet. Uh, I like the capability of it, but I find the camera's autofocus is locking on where I want anyway, 99% of the time, and I'm not having to worry about moving focus points or using my eye to move the focus point around the frame. So that could be because we have such great contrast shooting in winter, uh, or it could just be because the autofocus algorithms are that good, uh, and they really are. It's really quite, quite phenomenal. So those are two huge factors. Now there's uh, I'll just come to battery life, actually, then I'll talk about some of my niggles with the EOS R3, which apply to all mirrorless cameras. But Battery life was one of my main concerns with the EOS R3, but I was able to get, my heaviest day shooting was actually over 6,000 photographs, shooting at 30 frames a second. Now that's obviously a very heavy day shooting. I was able to do that uh, on a, one single battery charge in temperatures as low as sort of minus 10, minus 20 with wind chill. That's pretty phenomenal performance. That's fully the equal of what I would get out of a 1DX or very, very close to it or close enough that it doesn't matter. So that's, uh, I'm very, very happy with that. Uh, that level of performance from from the battery in the cold. I think that's quite phenomenal. Uh, And that was very consistent across the trip too, because as I said, we had very consistent temperatures. So I was able to get the camera completely cold soaked, have it outside for hours at a time and see how the battery performed. I think the battery is perhaps dropping 10% faster than what I would have seen on the 1DX Mark III, but that is a lot better than I was expecting for this camera. And it's certainly way, way in excess of what Canon are quoting for number of frames out of a battery charge. Uh, to be The fact that that's done in the cold as well, I think is really quite phenomenal. So there's absolutely no issues with battery uh, in the EOS R3, but let's come to some of the niggles. So one of the niggles that I have with, the, with all mirrorless cameras uh, and there really isn't any way around it other than to have the camera stop shutting itself down after a while, is that when you pick up the camera and it's gone to sleep, you have to reactivate it before you can see through the viewfinder. That's not something I'm used to with DSLRs. I'm used to being able to just pick up the camera, look through the viewfinder and see the frame. Having to just rewake the camera takes a split second, um, but it's somewhat of a niggle and an annoyance, and I'm sure I'll get used to it. It's just a different way of working. So I'm still experimenting with how long I run the camera before I have it automatically shut down. Uh, one of my other niggles is regarding the LCD screen um, and just the auto switching capability between the viewfinder and the screen on the back. I find that uh, what happens is in very, very heavy blowing snow, snow accumulates in the viewfinder and tricks the sensor in the camera in that your eye is still up to the frame. So the LCD screen doesn't activate when you look away. This is uh, something that's common across all mirrorless cameras, those shooting Sony were experiencing it, those shooting Nikon were experiencing it. It's simply because the snow gets blown into the viewfinder at the back of the camera 
and tricks the sensor there to thinking that your eye is still looking through the uh, through through the viewfinder. What I've found is I have um, just put up set up one of my custom buttons to quickly switch to. Uh, the LCD screen on the back if I need to. So there's a workaround for that. It's not a big deal. It's not going to be an issue for 99% of people out there in the field. It really only is a bit of a niggling problem when you're out shooting in heavy blowing snow. And as I say, there is a workaround for it anyway, so that's not too much of an issue. In terms of everything else about the R3, it really performed flawlessly. I had no issues with uh, with the camera whatsoever. Oh, absolutely blown away by the focus, as I said, blown away by the battery life. Very impressed by its performance in the cold. 30 frames a second is pretty incredible. Uh, it's a very fast way to fill up your cards extremely quickly. But when you've got fast-moving wildlife, and the Arctic foxes do move very, very quickly, it does give you an incredible capability to pick and choose your frames when poor position is absolutely perfect. So it does make editing a bit more of a nightmare, but I like having that choice after the fact. So I shot a lot in 30 frames per second. Uh, it's impossible to just simply press the shutter in that mode and get one shot. You're always going to get a burst of images, um, which means you have to do quite a bit of deleting and editing and culling. But that's okay if you end up with the shot that you really want with the poor position is just perfect and the head is angled just so, then I think it's worth that extra effort. Uh, I certainly, I think with birds or any fast moving wildlife, I think 30 frames per second is fantastic. Is it too much? Sure, it is too much in many situations, but you can always dial the camera back. Uh, and I think that's just the way to handle it is to set it up according to the subject, how quick the subject's moving and the sort of photographs that you're, you're looking for as well. So one other thing I just want to cover off today, actually a couple of other things. The first one was just to give you an update on the weather here in Finland. As I said, it's been snowing consistently for two days now and fantastic snow cover on the ground, but it's too warm. Uh, it's actually warmer than it was in Iceland on the Arctic Fox Trip. At the moment, it's only about minus three degrees Celsius. I was hoping for something around minus 30 degrees Celsius. Of course, it's making conditions in the hide very comfortable for photography, uh, being being quite warm, but not such a great test for the R3 in extreme cold before Ellesmere Island. So I'm hoping the temperature might drop a little bit over the coming days and I'll get more of a chance to test the camera in very, very extreme cold. And when I say extreme cold, I mean minus 30 degrees and below. That's where I think the, the camera might, uh, like all mirrorless cameras, run into some issues. And I just want to test that fully. Uh, I've already made up my mind that I am going to take a 1DX Mark III with me to Ellesmere just in case. I think it's important to have have that option there. So I'll have the EOS R3 and the 1DX Mark III with me. So if one or the other falls over, I've got a, I've got a backup there. And that's going to, to help me out greatly. Uh, one other last thing I want to cover off for today is uh, it's fairly exciting news for the, for, it's sort of unrelated to nature photography, but I think it's worth talking about for a little bit. And it's mostly going to serve wedding and portrait photographers. But BenQ has recently achieved the world's first Pantone skin tone validated certification for their current range of PD models. Uh, you can jump onto uh, BenQ's website to have a look at this. I'll put a link in the show notes to this. It's a pretty, it's a pretty big deal to have a skin tone validated uh, panel. And I think wedding and portrait photographers, which, photo, uh, wedding and portrait photographers rather should really benefit from this. I think, uh, particularly for those who've struggled with skin tone, uh, this is going to help them very, very much indeed and, and get very, very consistent results. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. As I say, it's not really nature related, but I think it's very, very interesting photographic news that this has happened. Ben, BenQ did actually release the first Pantone validated display, which I tested. I think it was probably 18 months ago now. Fantastic panel. I, I really enjoyed my time with it. 
uh, and for anyone who's working and needs consistent, accurate color, uh, also in the commercial field, I think this is going to be, you know, of huge benefit. So link to the show notes if you want to check that out. I think lastly for today, we'll wrap it up there. I actually need to get ready to head out to the hides very shortly. It's almost half past 10 here in the morning in Finland. I want to get away by no later than 11 out to the hides. And we'll be in the hides today until probably around about five o'clock tonight. It'll be pretty dark by then. Sunset's about quarter past four. Um, Typically, wolves are most active late in the afternoon, in my experience. So it's good to get out to the hide early, get situated, uh, let everything go quiet, and just to spend our time waiting patiently to see what uh, what comes for the day. Hopefully, the wolves will come. And as a last reminder, if you want to support the podcast and um, help with the hosting fees that uh, go into making this uh, possible, you can buy me a coffee. There is also a link to that in the show notes as well, and your support for that is greatly appreciated. It just helps you with things like the hosting fees, Uh, some of the equipment that I use to record these podcasts out in the field um, because they're not cheap to run at the end of the day. I mean, the ongoing running cost of the podcast is a few hundred dollars a year, so it's not extreme, but all help and support is greatly appreciated in that area. So I think that's it for today. It has been the 18th of February coming to you from Finland in winter. I'm Josh. This has been episode 38 of the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, and I look forward to seeing you out in the field very soon. Oh, a small addendum. Just before I say goodbye and before you sign off, there was some very interesting patents lodged by Canon in the last few days for a range of new telephoto lenses for the RF mount that included lenses like a 200-500 F4, fixed F4. I'm hoping that might actually happen with a built-in teleconverter. That would be very, very interesting. Uh, jump over to Canon Rumors if you want to have a look at those patents. Uh, they are only patents at this stage, but... Uh, Patents often do become products, so it'd be very interesting to see some of those lenses become a reality. So that's it for today, episode 38, 18th of February, 2022. I'm Josh. Look forward to seeing you out in the field.